0: Alright, we are in the book of James, James chapter 5, and we're approaching the end of our walk through this book. Um, I was looking back through some of my notes from the first sermon that I did in James chapter 1, and the date on that sermon was April the 14th, 2019. So coming up on three years ago, which is crazy how quickly time flies. Um, This is sermon number 13, and we'll have one more. Uh, later on at some point this year. As you're turning to um, James chapter 5, I want to kind of give a brief recap of what we looked at last time. Um, we covered the first six verses in this chapter, and we looked at James' warnings and impending judgment um, for what we call the godless rich. Okay, These are people that were in and amongst the church that James is writing to, um, but they are people who talk the talk, but do not walk the walk. Okay? They are people who claim to be followers of Jesus, and yet there is no evidence in their lives of it. And so we looked at four things related to the godless rich. They are those who uselessly hoard their wealth. They dishonestly gain wealth. They spend their wealth in self-indulgence. And they often acquire their wealth ruthlessly at the expense of whoever gets in their way. And so that's what we talked about last time. That's where we're going to pick up today in verse 7. So if you would um, follow along as I read. James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray. God, as we walk through this text together today, I pray that you give us wisdom and insight from your word. For your word is truth. And God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to start today by kind of walking through a word study that I did as I began to write this sermon. If you have been in and around life point for any significant amount of time you'll know about the W-4 the Bible study method that we use here and the third W is we refer to as the word and we look at a passage and we pull out significant words or phrases or words that are repetitive uh, because those things are often quite significant and important and they're repetitive because a point is being stressed and so There's one particular word which stands out in these verses, and that's the word patient. We see it twice in verse 7, once in verse 8. And then the word patience is in verse 10, as well as steadfast and steadfastness that show up in verse 11. Now I'm going to be honest, when I first started looking at this, my reaction to these verses was to say that James was beginning to wind down his letter. That this was the beginning of his conclusion and his summary. And the reason that I was leaning in that direction is because of how James started off his letter. So turn with me back to James chapter 1 real quick, um, just a couple of pages back. After the customary greetings, James starts the letter this way in verse 2. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, if, you, if, you, if you'll remember, if you were here, we talked about that word steadfastness at length way back in the beginning of this study in James. The word carries with it the idea of patient endurance. And as we've walked through this letter, we've looked at the variety of tests that James has presented along the way. He presents these true tests of genuine faith, of true faith. James tells us that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness or this patient endurance, this ability to carry on. And so the whole book has been this series of tests by which we should examine our lives in order that we might live a lifestyle that is appropriate to those who know and claim the name of Jesus. This letter has been a reminder that our faith is also a way of life and a guide to putting our faith into practice. So when we come to these verses today, initially it appears to me at least as the beginning of his conclusion, he says, "Be patient, therefore." Now, what's what's the rule when you're studying scripture when you see the word "therefore"? You go back and you see what it's there for. So, in light of all of these tests that have been presented over the course of the previous four plus chapters, it's as if James is saying, "Be patient, be steadfast." But then I started to dig into this word, patient. And the word that he uses here is different from the patient endurance or the steadfastness that he uses in chapter 1. And I think this is important. I think it's significant for us to understand. And so if you would, bear with me as I try to break this down a little bit. The word that James uses here in chapter 5, in verse 7, 8, and 10 is the Greek word called makrothumeo. The word that he uses back in chapter 1 is a Greek word called hupomone. I'm going to focus primarily on thumeo because we looked at hupomone, that steadfastness at length when we started our journey through James. So let's break this down, thumeo. It comes from two Greek words, makro meaning long, and thumeo meaning wrath. Or anger. So it's this idea of being long angered or long tempered, the opposite of short tempered. Now, when you think about someone with a short temper, what is a distinctive characteristic that they are lacking? Patience. Okay? Someone who is short tempered is lacking in patience. Trust me, I know, okay? When I was younger, I was very short-tempered, and that was, I think, due in large part to a lack of patience. Now, a key distinction here is that Macrothemeo has to do with patience in dealing with people. We'll see as we walk through these verses in James, we'll see this, but I want to first show you some other examples that we see in the New Testament where this word shows up. Now, you don't have to turn to all of these if you don't want to, but I would encourage you to to jot the references down. They're going to show up on the screen. But these are places in the New Testament where this same word shows up. First one I want to look at is in Matthew chapter 18. This is in a parable uh, that Jesus shared. Um, It shows up in verses 26 and 29. I want to read from 23 um, to 30. This is what Jesus said, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience. Same word there. Have macrothemeo with me and I will pay you everything. The master in this parable exhibited this macrothumeo that we're talking about, this patience when dealing with his servant. The servant, on the other hand, did not show this kind of patience towards the other man who owed him money. Romans 12 is the next one. This is a a list that Paul gives us of ways in which we deal with and handle people. (coughs) Starting in verse 9, Paul says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Here it is. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and show Seek to show hospitality. Paul is talking about our relationships with people and uses this word, macrothameo, to express the need for patience in tribulation that comes from dealings with people. The mark of a true Christian is patience when dealing with people. 1 Corinthians thirteen four, you'll know this. This is from Paul's famous love chapter. He starts off in verse 4, "'Love is patient.'" Love is macrothameo and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love is patient. Ephesians 4, verse 2 Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Unity in the body of Christ comes through macrothumeo, patience with one another. And we're going to see this unfold a bit more as we Walk through this chapter in James. Another one in 2 Peter 3.9. Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So Peter is using this same word, makrothumeo, for God, and how God is patient with us. He is long-tempered. Not wishing that any should perish. perish. One more. And I think this is a significant one. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, macrothemeo Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Macrothameo. Patience is fruit of the Spirit. It is evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives. It is the God-given ability to deal patiently with people. I mentioned earlier that I was very short-tempered when I was young. Unfortunately, that was a part of my reputation as a teenager. I've always been very competitive, played all kinds of sports growing up. Um, And in competition, my temper, my short temper rather, would often reveal its ugly head. Some of you will may have heard this story. Um, others of you that are perhaps newer to Life Point um, will not have heard this. But as a teenager, I was aware of my short temper mainly because people would point it out to me. They'd tell me to chill out. But it wasn't significant enough to me for me to feel like I needed to do anything about it. But that all changed one day on a soccer field. Now, I grew up in West Africa. I grew up in the country of Senegal, which sits on the West African coast line, and my parents served as missionaries there. My brother and I went to a, a private Christian school in the city that we lived in, and our school soccer team was playing a local team um, one afternoon after school. We were playing on our home field at our campus, which meant, of course, that our opponents were our guests. Where we lived, it rained three months out of the year. The rest of the year, it was completely bone dry. And so, as a result, it was, was not really an option to grow grass to play soccer on. So, that meant that our soccer field at our school was dirt. It's good old black Dirt. Well, at some point in the middle of that game that afternoon, I found myself on the ground alongside one of their players. I got up, I dusted myself off, knowing for certain that I had been fouled. And yet, I get up, and to my shock, the referee called the foul on me, awarding a free kick to the other team. In my frustration... Kids, if you're listening, I do not recommend this in any way, shape, or form. Do not try this at home. In my frustration, I reached down to the ground. I grabbed a big handful of that dirt, and I threw it at the referee. In that moment for me, time stopped. I saw the look on the referee's face. I saw the look on my teammates' faces my opponents' faces, the fans along the sidelines. And it was a look of awe and disbelief. And in that moment, I wanted to dig a hole in the middle of that field and crawl into it and just have them bury me right there. Why the referee didn't kick me out of that game is something I still wonder to this day. I also wonder why my coach didn't bench me at that moment. I don't remember anything about the rest of that game. Nothing. I just wanted it to be over. I wanted it to end. But what I do remember about that moment is that God used that to radically get my attention. I saw something in me in that moment that I wanted no part of. As soon as that final whistle blew, I made a beeline to that referee. And I apologized profusely for my behavior. I told him that, as a follower of Jesus, that behavior was totally unacceptable. And I asked him to forgive me. And that actually may have shocked him more than me throwing dirt in his face. By God's grace, I've not lost my temper to that extent again. Now, do I always get it right? No. Does my temper try to rear its ugly head sometimes? Sure, it does. Just ask my wife and my daughters. But God began a work in me that day and continues to refine that macrothemeo, that patience in dealing with people in me day by day. That's macrothemeo, patience. In dealing with people. And that's the word that James uses here. The other word is hupomone. I won't spend as much time here. But it comes from two words as well. Hupo meaning under. And mone meaning remain or endure. So in other words it means to remain under. To endure under. That's why translations translate it as steadfastness. It's patient endurance. This is the word that James uses back in chapter 1. And while macrothameo is patience with respect to people, hupomone is patience with respect to things or circumstances in which we find ourselves. So when James says in verse 7, Be patient therefore, he's using a patience related to dealing with people. And so it makes sense then, that he would be talking about the people that were mentioned in the previous six verses. Be patient with the godless rich in your midst who have uselessly hoarded their wealth, who dishonestly gain wealth, who spend their wealth in self-indulgence, and who have acquired their wealth ruthlessly, perhaps even at your expense. And this, I believe, is yet another test That James is presenting to us. A test of faith. Patience in the midst of mistreatment. And so this is our first of just two points this morning. Genuine faith is patient in the midst of mistreatment. Under this we're going to look at three things. In these next few verses. First off. We need to trust God. With what we cannot control, and we need to be faithful with what we can control. Read with me again verses 7 through 9. James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. After telling his readers to be patient, therefore, James, I think, then here anticipates a question that would naturally probably come up. How long was, must we be patient with these things, with these people, James? James says, until the coming of the Lord. In order ex- to explain this to his readers and to us, he gives us this example, this illustration of a farmer. Now, I think you would agree with me that a farmer is pretty typically a patient person, they have to be, they must wait patiently on their crops. To grow, because it's beyond their control. Now, there are some things that the farmer can control, such as preparing the ground, such as the timing of when he plants his seed. But one major factor, and I would say probably the major factor, that is absolutely out of his control is the weather. He must wait on the early rains which come at the beginning of the planting season in the fall, and the latter rains, which come just before harvest time in the spring. And again, he's writing to an audience who grew up in Palestine and Israel and would have been very familiar with this, these weather patterns that are typical for that area. You'd have the, the fall rains that came and the spring rains that came later. The lesson here for us is to learn that we must be patient in the things that we can't control. But we also must work hard in the things that we can control. The farmer doesn't just sit idly by. Because it doesn't matter what the weather does. You may have the most amazing rains that come. If that field is not prepared and that seed is not sown, nothing's going to grow. At least not the crop that you want to grow. If those things don't happen, a crop is not coming. And likewise, I would say that even depending on your crop, once seed's been planted, sometimes that field needs to be tended even as the crop is growing. So, at the end of verse 8, James says, you also be patient. The distinctive attitude of the Christian community must be and should be patience. He goes on and he uses this interesting phrase, establish your heart. Now, the Greek word there suggests this idea of great heartedness. There's a, a strength of firmness that's there. You see, irritating And disconcerting things do not change the settled condition of the heart. Anxieties cannot disturb, for the heart is at peace. But vigilance is still required, one commentator said. We must stand firm. When you're feeling the weight of persecution or trouble or hardship, be patient, James says. But work hard. Why? He says, because the coming of the Lord is at hand. These people were living in the first century. They were living with an expectation, an anticipation that the king was coming again. And we also must live with that same anticipation. We should live in the light of the coming of our king. It's where we find hope. It's where we find peace. It's where we find joy. There's a great old song that came to my mind as I was studying this this week a song by the Gaithers, some of you will know, called The King is Coming. And the chorus says, Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now his face I see. Oh, the king is coming. The king is coming. Praise God. He's coming for me. Our troubles in this life are temporary. And though they may seem weighty at times, we must remember that these are temporary troubles. We must live in the light of eternity, eagerly anticipating Christ's return. I made reference to 1 Peter earlier when we were going through those verses. But I want to back up one verse in 1 Peter verse 8 says but do not overlook this one fact that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day when you look at it in that light Jesus has only been gone for a couple of days Peter goes on to say the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises some count slowness but he is patient towards you, makrothumeo, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In the meantime, as we wait for his return, it's important for us to be patient. Verse 9, James gives a warning. He warns us not to grumble against one another. And this got me thinking too, why, why does he throw this in here? But have you ever noticed what happens when you lose patience? When we are hurting or we are angry or we are frustrated due to lack of patience with people or circumstances or whatever the case might be, we often take that out on the people that are closest to us, whether they had anything to do with it or not. It's what we do. However, this is something that we can control. And we must exercise discipline in this area. James says here, so that we might not be judged. This is not a a judgment in reference to salvation. We've established very clearly in Scripture that our salvation cannot be lost. However, that doesn't change the fact that we will face judgment. And scripture teaches that judgment for the believer is in relation to rewards that Christ will give us in our heavenly dwelling. What all that looks like, I don't know. But the indication James here is strongly suggesting that we've, we need to avoid this sin of grumbling against one another lest we be judged. James says that the judge is standing at the door. This is another reference to the second coming of Christ. He stands ready to throw that door open as soon as the Father gives the word. Because you'll remember what Jesus said to his disciples. Only the Father knows the day. And so Jesus is standing at the door ready. Ready to come when the Father gives the word. Charles Spurgeon exhorts us to Continue to put up with others, remembering the Lord's long-suffering with you. We must be patient with one another. We must be patient with the world around us and not allow the frustrations that the world throws at us cause us to grumble with one another. We must love one another. And then James wraps up this section with two more examples that he gives us. Verses in verse 10 says, says this: "As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So first, we talked about trusting God with what we can't control, being faithful with what we can control. Secondly, under this is, we must speak the truth of God. He uses the example of the prophets. The prophets were known for their proclamation of truth. They proclaimed God's truth while being persecuted and often surrounded by injustice. James describes them here as patient. Same word, macrothumeo. Patiently enduring abuse at the hands of men while faithfully proclaiming the words of truth given to them by the Spirit of God. The prophets demonstrate what it looks like to trust God with things that they cannot control and yet being faithful and working hard in the things that they can control. Just like the prophets, Christ has given us a command to make disciples of all nations. Making disciples of people requires communication of truth. We cannot control the actions and behaviors of people towards us, but we can communicate truth with those around us. Even in the midst of struggle, the prophets were on the front line speaking the truths of God as we should be. All right, look at verse 11. It says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So thirdly, we must hope in the purpose of God. Interestingly here, James switches. He switches his words. He moves from macrothameo back to hupomone. And I think the purpose behind it, I think what James is stressing here is the need for patience in all things. Patience in dealing with people but also patience in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. It shows up twice in this verse. It's the word steadfast. Remember James is speaking to a Jewish audience. They would know the story of Job. When one other thing that I also want us to consider is he's speaking to a Jewish audience who have been scattered. They've been removed from their home. They had to flee Jerusalem under persecution by Rome. And they, they are scattered now. And James is writing to them. Perhaps, perhaps they, had, they lost a business in leaving Jerusalem. They had to leave possessions behind. He's telling them to be patient in all of this. And he uses this word here, be steadfast, in reference to Job. They would have known the story of Job. They would have known it well. And he's reminding them and us of the steadfastness of Job. It's interesting. One commentator I read this week said this about this statement by James. He asked the question, is that not an understatement? That Job was patient, that he was steadfast? He goes through 42 grueling chapters asking questions like when is this going to end? Why is this happening? Job wrestles for 42 chapters but then he gets to the end and he says this My ears have heard of you but now my eyes have seen you. The whole point in the story of Job is that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. That's the end that Job gets to. In this we see the steadfastness of Job and we see the purposes of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. When we are walking through suffering, we must remember that this is not the end. God will show himself compassionate and merciful, even when darkness surrounds us. So like a farmer, we must trust him in what we can control. Cannot, excuse me, let me start over. Like a farmer, we must trust him in what we cannot control and honor God in what we can control. Like the prophets, we must speak the truth of God. And like Job, we must hope in his purpose. The Asbury Bible Commentary had this to say about these verses. Verse 10 and 11. It said, James would have them identify with the prophets Old Testament men of the highest order, men like Jeremiah, were subject to unpredictable experiences, but yet they maintained a remarkable equanimity, for God's presence was assured them. Equanimity. I didn't know what that meant. I had to look that up. But it's a great word. It means mental calmness, composure, and evenness of temper, especially in a difficult situation. The prophets were able to have this calm composure because they were assured of God's presence with them. The commentary goes on to say this, If they, the prophets, are considered blessed, then the Christian who knows the presence of the Lord in varied circumstances may also know blessedness. Job 2 is used as an example, but his patience involved the exercise of endurance. His last words testify to an unusual sense of God's presence. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Assuredly, the Lord is working in the community out of compassion as they cultivate this uncommon patience. Now, I want to look very briefly at verse 12. And this verse looks to be a bit out of place. Now, I know that James wrote this under the inspiration of the Spirit, so there's no doubt that there is connection, but it's somewhat difficult for me to see. It almost feels like James forgot to mention something earlier, and so he's throwing it in before he finishes up. But however however it fits in there, there's some very important truth here. He comes back to a subject that he has touched on extensively In this short letter. He comes back to the subject of the tongue. Because we've looked at this subject extensively ourselves. I just want to make a couple of observations. Before we begin to wrap up. Look at verse 12. Read it with me. But above all my brothers do not swear. Either by heaven or by earth. Or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes. And your no be no. No so that you may not fall under condemnation. James here gives us yet another test of genuine faith. And so this is our second point this morning. Genuine faith shows trustworthiness in speech. The words that come out of our mouths should be consistent, should be dependable, and they should guarantee reliability in and of themselves this verse is yet another direct reference to the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave in Matthew 5-7. through 7. James relies heavily on this teaching from Jesus throughout his letter. And we've seen that numerous times as we've walked through this. In fact, 28 parallels between the letter of James and the Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus had to say on the matter. This is Matthew five thirty-three and following. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Our words should be reliable in and of themselves. A simple yes or a simple no is all that is needed. This is a matter of integrity. Integrity is best served by simplicity and straightforward conversation. One uh, commentary I read this week, the commentator shared a a story about his father, who was a businessman, um, late 1930s, coming out of the Great Depression. And he recounts that his father was needing a loan for his business, and he went down to the bank, um, where he knew the branch manager, they were close friends. And he asked for an amount of money. Well, the branch manager that day was pretty busy. He was hurriedly kind of getting other things done. And he went into the vault and came out with the amount of money that the man had asked for and gave it to him. And the man said, well, surely I need to sign a promissory note or something. And the the banker said to him, we'll take care of it another time. I trust your word. I know you. And that, that's the idea of, I think, what James is, is trying to convey here. Our words should be trustworthy. We all know, we've all seen how difficult it is to regain trustworthiness when that trust has been broken in relationships. Our words should matter. James is saying, don't swear by anything. Just let your yes be yes and let your no be no. We, as Christ followers, should be known as people whose word is trustworthy. So that's where we're going to, that's where we're going to leave things today. Next time, when we get into this last portion of James 5 and finish out the book, we're going to look at what James has to say about prayer. And I'm excited about that. I think it's an important word for us um, in this day and age that we live in. But for today, let's keep these two tests of faith in mind, these two tests of genuine faith that James has challenged us with today. One, that we be patient with people In the midst of mistreatment, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering. And two, that we show trustworthiness in our speech. Let's pray together.